Our second scripture lesson picks up with the story of Samuel, uh, as Samuel is a young boy in the temple. Uh, you'll find uh, this scripture lesson in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. Hear this continued word of the Lord. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called, Samuel, Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel. So Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, my son. Lie down again. Now the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to Samuel. So the Lord called Samuel again a third time. And he got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, speak, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there calling as before, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make both ears of any, anyone who hears of it tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be expatiated by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay there until morning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli, but Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. He said, here I am. Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and did, hid nothing from him. Then he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Near the end of the first act of Hamilton, as the Revolutionary War has ended and the new Americans are preparing to build a brand new country, Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr sit on the stage together, just the two of them, no extra singers or dancers, and they sing to their respective children, Philip and Theodosia. Both men have just become fathers for the first time. It is a poignant, quiet interlude in the midst of bombastic numbers about battle and victory. These two men, leaders and soldiers sing a lullaby to their newborn son and daughter. Aaron Burr sings, Dear Theodosia, what to say to you? 
You have my eyes, you have your mother's name. When you came into the world, you cried, and it broke my heart. I'm dedicating every day to you. It celebrates the arrival of their children, but it is also overflowing with hope. Hope not just for their children as individuals, but for the country that they are seeking to build. Burr and Hamilton's visions for their children and for America are wrapped up in the other. They sing, you will come of age with our young nation. We'll bleed and fight for you. We'll make it right for you. If we lay a strong enough foundation, we'll pass it on to you. We'll give the world to you, and you'll blow us all away. All of the fighting and working that they have done will not end with themselves. It will both affect and be carried on by their children, by the next generation. This song is both joyful and poignant because one story is ending, but another, one outside of the control of these two great men, is just beginning. This morning, we have two passages from 1 Samuel, and there we find two more stories of a parent and a child writing their own story. Both are unique but are inextricably linked. One does not happen without the other, and both stories carry implications for the broader community. And through each story, we find the sovereignty, the power of God weaving together and transforming lives. In our first passage from 1 Samuel, we find Hannah, not unlike Burr and Hamilton, singing in response to her firstborn son. The song she sings in 1 Samuel chapter 2 is sort of a bookend to her story, which really only spans these first two chapters. Hannah has, to this point, not been able to conceive. It is a cause cause of great sadness and shame for her. She weeps and prays and makes vows before God. We all know the complicated issues surrounding pregnancy and the role of women in the ancient Near East. We know that in that time and culture, bearing children was the highest duty of women, just as we know now that a a woman need not have children to have value. We also know, I think, the complicated and dangerous theological issues of aligning Hannah's faith and God remembering her before she has Samuel. The cause and effect view of prayer and getting what we want makes me uncomfortable. I think it is worth naming those things. We can know and believe that Hannah should not have suffered as she did for not having children. Uh, We can point to the patriarchy, and we could or even should perhaps call it backwards and unfair. All of that matters. And also, Hannah wanted to have a child. For all of the complicated ways that we can read or interpret that story, we cannot discount the reality of what Hannah wanted. And so she pours her whole self into asking God to deliver that child to her. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, uh, we find that Hannah presents herself before God, and she makes a vow, makes a promise that her first child will be dedicated to the Lord. She promises that if she finally does have a child, she will return him back to God. And before long, Hannah, Hannah does. She gives birth to Samuel, and as soon as he is weaned, she takes him to the temple, as promised, and leaves him in the care of the priest Eli in service to the Lord. And there is something, I don't know, complicated or 
strange, isn't there? This, this child, the one that she has hoped and dreamed for and prayed for, finally arrives, and then she leaves him at the temple that he may serve God. It feels complicated and strange for us to watch Hannah give up this son that she wanted and loved to the temple and to God, but in a very real way, Samuel always belonged to God. And that's something that we say, that's something we understand theologically, that we all belong to the God who created us. But for Samuel, that was literally true. Hannah made a promise to God and to her son and to herself before Samuel was born. She promised to dedicate Samuel from birth to the work of the Lord. Hannah, believing that her Creator would deliver, guide, and sustain her, says yes and makes a promise that she does not go back on. You know, one of the reasons that in our tradition we baptize infants is a recognition that God's love for us exists even before we can respond to that love. We believe that we are always claimed and loved by God and that there is nothing we can do to earn or unearn that love. So we dedicate our infants to God. We say yes on their behalf, and we entrust that care to the parents, to the church. So Hannah has said yes to God, to the God who said yes to her long before she conceived Samuel. And so then Hannah sings. The song that Hannah offers, it speaks to something much larger than herself. Her song stands at the center of chapters 1 through 3, which is Samuel's origin story. And it not only celebrates the gift of Samuel, but it articulates Israel's future and future king as an anticipated gift of God. When Hannah brings her son to the priest at Shiloh, she does not speak of the enormous changes that will come. She sings of, the, of God, of God the Lord, who turns wrong things right side up, who judges justly, who delivers the needy and puts down the oppressor who upholds the world and brings death and makes alive. That is the God in whom Hannah believes, the God to whom she has dedicated her son. Hannah sees God's power in everything that happens and hopes in a sacred future that God will bring, a future that her son will bear witness to. Hannah has received what she wanted so deeply, prayed for so fervently, What else could she do but sing a song of deliverance and justice and hope? And we know, of course, that this isn't the end of the story. The song that Hannah sings may mark the end of her presence in the story, but her son grows up in that temple and then led by God goes on to become one of the great prophetic voices for the people of Israel. God's story with the people of Israel continues with and through Samuel. Samuel will name the first king of Israel. He will anoint Saul, eventually denounce Saul, and then anoint David. David, of course, will be known as the greatest king of Israel. It is with David that God will make a covenant. Hannah's story may end in 1 Samuel chapter 2, but the story of her son and ultimately the story of those descended from the house and family of David is just beginning. So then when we find Samuel in chapter 3, he's been living in the temple and learning from Eli, who is his mentor, and it's this pivotal moment in the history of Israel. The text tells us that in those days the word of God was rare, 
So Samuel is filling a vacuum. He's responding to a call that is vitally important. It's kind of easy to read this chapter as a even children are called to serve God kind of tale. But if you read the whole chapter in its entirety, we discover that that Samuel, a child, is being called to do a grown-up job. Answering this call, saying yes to God, is not just going to change Samuel, but it's going to change Israel forever. Samuel will become a pivotal religious, moral, and political leader when a loose confederation of tribes and tribal leaders beset by powerful neighbors goes on to become a nation with an organized state. The world will change, and with it, the way the people of Israel understand their relation to God, the land, and to one another. This big historical moment, that call that Samuel receives and his response to it, simply would not have been possible if it weren't for his mother. Before he was even born, his mom promised that he would be raised in the temple, that his life would belong to God. If it hadn't been for the hope of Hannah, Samuel would not have found himself in that temple that night. It takes a lot of people to launch Samuel. It takes a village, as we say. Without his mother, his father, without Eli, Samuel would not have heard or recognized the voice of God. And then if you follow that thread further, all of the people that come behind David, that get David onto the throne, none of those happen without Hannah, without uh, Elkanah, without Eli. There is a sequence of great men from Samuel to Saul and to David, and I think that it's worth mentioning that the narrative locates the origin of Israel's future and the source of its great leaders with one woman who put her faith in God. One might argue that every legacy, every great future, every strong leader begins with one person who sings a song of love and hope over them. In the same way that we can look at our confirmands today and think about the parents and grandparents, friends, mentors, Sunday school teachers who brought them here from their baptism to today, we can trace Samuel's call back through the people who raised him. And also, and this is really important, it was Samuel's decision, right? God was present for every moment of Samuel's life from the very beginning to now. God has already said yes to Samuel. Hannah has said yes, but only Samuel can answer this call. The work of his parents, the work of Eli, the work of the community is important and necessary, but it's, it's not enough. Samuel has to respond It's Samuel's yes that takes him, the people of Israel, and the story of God somewhere new. He could have said, you know what, I am flattered, but I'm going to pass. He could have decided that the work was too big, or, you know, that he didn't really believe in God or the work that God was trying to do, but he didn't. I have to believe that though he lived in the temple his whole life, he knew his mother, He knew the struggles that she faced, the faith and hope she carried, and the God that she believed in. Samuel would have grown up knowing that his mother dedicated him to the God of the oppressed, the great deliverer who raises the poor from the dust and shatters instruments of violence. Samuel knew that God, and so he leans into the promise that Hannah made for him and gives his own yes. We need both stories— 
both characters. God works through and in them to further the kingdom. We don't get one without the other. And all of it, truly all of it, is tied up in the God who heard Hannah and who called Samuel. I mean, Samuel's name literally means God listens. So Samuel's call story in chapter 3 is this inflection point where he carries the hope of his mother uh, and his mother's story and everything he has learned into this new story, into a new place. Confirmation, I think, is also the place that these two stories meet, where the yes of your parents and the church, the ones given on your behalf, and your own yes intersect. It is where, like Samuel hearing the whisper of God, you respond to God speaking into your life. It is the moment before your story of faith continues on, not without your families or community, but beyond them. We have these two stories, both in Hannah and Samuel, and in the story of these confirmands of a parent's hope for their child and of letting that child go. The story of the child finding his or her place in the world and hearing God's call in their life. And so then there is this third unwritten story. We may know now the end of Samuel's story, but Hannah couldn't have known. When she left her son in Eli's care, how could she have known all that he would become? Samuel didn't even know where his story would go when he said yes to the voice of God. He couldn't have known all that uh, came to pass. And, and we never know, do we? When we launch a child, when we set out on a new endeavor, when we respond to God's, God's call, we cannot know where we will be led or what we will find. But that unknown story, the one we cannot predict or control, is God's. Hannah knew the God in whom she believed, and so she set Samuel's feet on a path oriented toward her God of justice and deliverance, and she hoped. Samuel knew the God who spoke to him in the quiet of the temple, and so he responds, becoming the prophetic voice that the people of Israel so desperately needed. In finishing confirmation, these five young people are entering into God's unknown story. We don't know where they're going to go. We don't know what their faith will look like in five, ten, or fifty years. We do not know how they may enact God's kingdom in the world. We can see the seeds that have been planted by their parents, by their mentors, by this community. I have seen and can see their commitment to thoughtful biblical understanding, to being critical, to not taking things at face value. I know that they see the inherent value in each and every person, no matter where they come from, no matter what they believe, no matter what they look like. They believe that everyone has a sacred possibility. And so I have little doubt that as they lean into God's yes, they will seek to make the world a more thoughtful, caring, and equitable place that is rooted in God's love. But we don't know. As Lin-Manuel Miranda via George Washington also tells us, a legacy is planting seeds in a garden that you never get to see. But as we learn from Hannah, we can sing a song of hope over them. We say yes to God and we hope. 
This is not, of course, just a story of parents and children. This is not just a story of baptism and confirmation. It is a story of listening to the God who calls us, of saying yes to the God who has already said yes to us. And it is, an it is more than an invitation to hear God's voice in our own lives. It is a challenge to discern what God needs us to do in the world. We are called to become the channel for God's prophetic word in our own time, to know that the God who calls us is a God who lifts the needy from the ash heap and brings life where there is only death. The confirmands who have now taken their faith into their own hands will have to decide, as will all of us, what it means to follow that God, to labor alongside that God. So friends, who has brought you to this place? And what is God whispering to you in the silence of the temple? What needs are there in the world that you can say yes to? We may not see what transformative power God may wring out of your lives, but we trust that the living God has made a claim on our lives and is going to take us somewhere new. Amen.